Welcome to the Learning Capacity Podcast, where we explore stories from around the world. We hear from educators, parents, students, entrepreneurs and scientists about innovations that help make learning easier and more successful. I'm your host, Peter Barnes. What do a child's strengths and the stories parents tell themselves have to do with helping children on the autism spectrum? For some insights into this question, I spoke to Ash Bhattacharya, the founder of Autism 360, a service that provides coaching for parents of children with autism. Well, hello again, Ash. Thanks for coming onto the podcast once again. Uh, some time back, you, uh, we, did, we had a chat. So you've been operating in the autism services area for quite some time, and Autism 360 is really seems to be getting some momentum. Right. Uh, so. Today, let's have a chat about what you're seeing happening in Australia as far as autism services are concerned. Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, Peter, thanks for having me back. It's my pleasure to be on, on your podcast. So, um, look, in terms of the challenges that parents are facing today, especially in Australia, uh, on the surface, there are, the challenges are there are multiple challenges, right? Speech and communication uh, challenges with their kids, um, behavioral challenges, um, uh, limitations with learning and social capabilities. So the real problem that, that we see today is the ever-increasing divide between the therapy providers who are providing the services and the families who are seeking the service. And it's not necessarily because of um, some, uh, you know, the therapy providers or the parents are not communicating well, uh, but it's because how we are structured as a unit to work together as as a team, if you understand what I mean. Um, and it starts from the very root of the process where in a child who's diagnosed for the first time, um, the pediatrician writes on a piece of paper about the diagnosis and provides you know, um, a recommendation that, hey, go and seek ABA um, or applied behavior analysis. And the problem with that is that ABA is a strategy that was developed way back in the late 70s and early 80s. And a lot has changed since then, especially as you, you will agree, Peter, with our parenting styles, because you know the way or the freedom that we give our kids today to voice their opinions, concerns, and even choose to disagree with us on certain matters is not something that many of us were entitled to when we were growing up. And hence, um, I believe that strategies such as ABA may not have necessarily evolved from that 80s style of parenting. So, but if ABA was working back then, you're saying it's not working as well now because that of the... That is correct. Yeah, yeah. That is correct. And the reason, primary reason be, being that uh, strategies such as ABA uh, assumes that a child's primary responsibility is to comply and obey without questioning, okay, which is not the case, which is not the way how we want to raise our kids in this day and age. Like, you know, regardless of whether our kids have or, have or always get what they want, we at least want them to have the opportunity to voice their opinion, yeah? And which is one of the reasons why you know we see that the these traditional strategies are not providing the desired effect like i have nothing personal against aba uh, i believe it's a great tool fit for purpose for certain elements of developing certain challenges that kids may have but overall if you are following one school of practice versus the other the results are going to be fairly monolithic in nature like in the sense that the child will respond in a way which is which cannot be contextualized in this generation if you understand what i mean yeah all right is there a, a current best practice then in your view is something going to replace aba or is there a, a variation of it or what what are you seeing right 
Look, that's a great question, and I think to uh, to address that, we need to um, we need to talk a bit about what's what pretty much every research done over the last decade also suggests. Okay, and they suggest two primary things. Number one is that intervention or therapy strategies implemented early on during the child's life, okay, significantly improves the the effectiveness of the same. Okay, and number two is. Um, these therapy strategies are way more effective and I would say seven to ten times more effective when they are practiced at home with some guided effort by the parents. Okay. Now based on that and given that every child is unique, what we need to figure out are what are the key strengths that a child has as opposed to looking at the weaknesses and putting band-aid solutions to plug the weaknesses. We need to help the child evolve using his or her strengths to be able to circumvent the challenges that they see around them. So a strengths-based approach. That is correct. Which is the whole strength-based approach is gathering some uh, traction in education generally. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, in, in human resource practice in, in corporations, uh, forward-thinking, enlightened, up-to-date corporations are, are using a strength-based approach to develop their staff. Absolutely. So is this is this the parallel to that? That is absolutely the parallel because. At the end of the day, as human beings, right, we cannot be really good or excellent at pretty much everything that we do, right? We all have our limitations. But what is actually going to help us become more productive members of the community is our strengths. That's how we contribute back to our society. That's how we contribute to our family, okay, and to our overall well-being. So imagine, because every child, okay, autism or not have a lot of, have some strengths right and if we are able to harness those strengths and provide them an environment where they can actually foster and thrive based on those strengths they can actually go ahead and achieve remarkable things from the human point of view working on your strengths is far more satisfying than trying Absolutely. to fix deficiencies Absolutely. for everybody yes yeah? you got it so you're, you're okay interesting mm -hmm. and that might mean leveraging multiple uh, strategies from multiple schools or programs for example ABA Sunrise Hanin DIR each of these have some really good elements that we can learn from and help our kids okay to thrive based on what they're really good at and what they enjoy okay mm. so are there people out there in Australia, let's say, we're talking about Australia at the moment primarily, who are using the strength-based approach, bringing in elements of various programs and approaches and, and working on that? Or is this just um, very embryonic thinking? Well, it, I would say if you would ask me the same question about two to three years back, okay, it was very much... Um, uh, it was very much playing by the traditional school of programs, okay? But over the last two or three years, I see a trend wherein, you know, parents are increasingly looking forward to alternate forms of how they can help their child develop. Um, it's important to understand, and pa parents often may see the problem at the surface, for example, um, difficult behavior or meltdowns at, or tantrums, but once they get an understanding that every big form of behavior Okay, good or bad is essentially a form of communication, right? And once they get to that sort of level of thinking that my child is unable to, or demonstrating difficult behavior because he or she is unable to communicate his wants, needs, fears, or anxiety, the whole thought process changes because then what you need to focus on is based on what my child is really good at, how I can create those communication opportunities so that my child is able to express better. Because at the end, what we see is surface behavior, but once we understand where, where the problem lies, that's where we can get innovative about the solution. This means then that parents 
need to view their child potentially a bit differently to the way they may have been viewing them. That is true, and, mm-hmm. and it's no different uh, than the way we view ourselves. For example, Peter, if you think about the last time you got really angry, upset, or depressed, okay, and um, uh, what, you know, what could have been the reason, and it may most likely be that when, you, when um, we are really angry at someone, okay, we have run out of words to communicate our feelings, and that's when anger or aggression in some extreme cases is the only form left for us to communicate, right? That's when okay. the emotion takes over, over the, the, the speech process. Absolutely, yes. and, that's, mm. and, and mm. if you look at it from a child's perspective mm. who, are, who may have challenges related to communication, okay, they are unable to express their wants and needs, and hence, at times, difficult behavior is pretty much the only thing that they can resort to to make themselves feel heard. It's very difficult for parents, though, isn't, isn't it, that they have a child who is exhibiting challenging behaviors, difficult right. behaviors, uh, and they, human beings, react. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Ha- what's your advice for parents in that situation? They, it's easy enough to say, oh, well, you should just take a step back and understand there's this reasons for this behavior. Um, what, would, what do you advise the parents you deal with? Look, um, on, at a much broader level, our society needs a much higher level of acceptance and awareness, right? But that's often not something that's within the control of the parents. What, the, what is in control of parents is for our child to have alternate ways to express their thoughts and feelings. If not verbal speech, then what else could they do to create those opportunities for their kids? So that when they are feeling, let's say, in a public place when the child is really having a sensory overload or um, is, is, una- is suffering from a um, high level of social anxiety, what could they do as an alternate mechanism to proactively manage the situation, identify the stress symptoms in their child and put measures in place to be able to handle that way in advance, even before uh, they act, the child actually melts down. Yeah. Can you give me some examples of how that might work? Yes, it could be something as simple as, let's say if it's a sensory sensory overload um, issue, right? Um, sometimes the child is, what can calm the child down is a bit of tactile pressure, all right? So it could be something as simple as, you know, putting a backpack on the child while the child is out in a mall, and that creates a bit of pressure on the shoulders, okay, um, uh, to help the child calm, uh, calm down, remain calm and focused, okay? Because uh, the other example could be that, you know, kids with autism, what we often see is they have, they have a strong aversion towards changes in routine because they like a set pattern, okay? They want to know what the next move is going to be and they don't like surprises. Like many of us, we don't, many of us don't like surprises, right? So what you can do is you can use a simple visual strategy like change in routine card wherein before you, before that change actually takes place, you help them understand this is what the change is going to be, this is when it's going to be, and this is the impact that you may have, or this is how it might change the situation. Now, when they, are, they understand the upcoming change, you would see that the situation may have turned around in the sense rather than being, um, you know, rather than having a meltdown or a violent panic attack, the, the kids might actually be looking forward to the change because they know what the change is and how it's going to impact them. Mm. I imagine when a parent first learns that their child has been confirmed as having autism, that's an overwhelming rush of emotion. You know, what the hell do I, do I do? And there's a lot of advice out there. You've got advice you're giving here. What's the practical thing? How do, can you take us through what your experience has been with parents right from that very 
starting point? Yes. Look, um, it's a very interesting topic you brought up, Peter, because I, like, as a parent, I've also gone through similar emotions, right? Fortunately for me, because I, you know, I already have a history with, with autism, uh, it was not a massive surprise or not a breakdown scenario for me. But that said, I talk to parents every day who do, doesn't know or don't know what their next step is going to be, okay? Um, a lot depends on the mindset that pa the parents operate within, okay? And um, various new, um, you know, or numerous studies have, the new, numerous studies have actually shown that our minds, like yours and mine and everyone else who's listening to this podcast, work in a very specific and defined pattern. And it all starts with stories, okay? Our mind is always on the lookout for stories, be it social media, books we read, um, you know, uh, movies we watch, whatever we do, you and I, we can't resist the temptation of a great story. Absolutely, right? yeah. Okay? Yes. And, and it's not just stories we hear from our surroundings, it's stories that we tell ourselves as well, like, you know, I'm too old to try this, or I don't think I'll be looking good in this dress, or, you know, why me? Like, you know, why does my child have autism, or, you know, Progress is going to be long and may take years. These are all the stories that we tell, tell ourselves. And even before we understand, these stories start taking the shape of beliefs, okay? When you start believing that, oh, no, autism um, you know, therapy is too expensive, um, you know, uh, uh, people around me don't understand, okay? So these are sort of the limiting belief patterns that parents develop, okay? And almost all parents go through this journey, okay? And these beliefs actually start act as start acting as filters that allow us to either seek information that we want, okay, or ignore information that we don't subscribe to. And then these drives our values, okay. These beliefs will tell us, okay. So then these beliefs drive our values, okay. If these are the ideas and principles that either we gravitate towards or we move away from. For example. Um, believe, these beliefs, such as, you know, uh, people around me don't understand and, and why is my, you know, my, my life is so much harder than other parents as an, as an autism parent. These beliefs led, led to, lead to, might lead to negative value patterns. For example, you know, there is not much point working harder and, you know, this, uh, this is how it's going to be. Something like, things like that, okay? And finally, these are beliefs contribute to our identity. Right? It's who we believe we are or who we relate to, where we believe that, okay, you know, my life doesn't have any meaning or, you know, my child is going to be like this, okay? And all of these actually drive the actions that we take, which has a direct result, a direct impact on the quality of the results we achieve, okay? So, the first thing that the parents should be doing, going back to your question, sorry, I digress, but um, uh, is that to get better quality actions, if there is one thing that they can do as a starting point, it should be altering that story, okay? And um, I'll, give you a very, I'll give you a very good example of one of our clients, right? Uh, and I've done a video about her as well, and her name is Shurupa, okay? So she had a seven-year-old uh, son with autism and some severe behavioral and communication challenges. And um, her parents, her in-laws, even her husband didn't actually subscribe to the fact that, you know, their child, there is anything wrong with their child. And, you know, it, they kept giving her stories, like, or feeding her stories. I mean, like, denial is a, is a fairly yeah, common thing. Absolutely. Uh, like, you know, Shayansh's dad, um, like, uh, you know, um, wouldn't even accept the diagnosis in the first place. And he would say things like, not my son. Okay. And, and 
he, she was getting stories from all around. For example, you know, um, uh, it's just a phase, it'll pass, you know, um, uh, things will get normal over time. And all these stories actually kept feeding Sri Rupa's mind and, change, and altering her belief that nothing's going to work out. Till we had a conversation and, and then one day she decided to, you know, step up and own her story. And she thought that, hey, Shriyansh is autistic and that's how he's going to be. Like, it was not a choice to start with, but that's what it is, okay? And that immediately had an impact on her beliefs in the sense that uh, my son is going to be a teenager soon, so I don't really have a lot of time, okay? Which, and that, that sense of urgency created a new sense of value in the sense that, okay, unless I step in as a parent, not much is going to change. And what that resulted in, because she was at that point in time a temporary resident in Australia and was not eligible for any government funding. Mm -hmm. So she went and got a job for herself just to be able to fund into our 360 program, okay? And then she, she took massive action working with our coaches. And it's been a year now, almost a year, and Shirupa has actually, uh, Shriyansh has actually gone back to mainstream school and beginning to make a few friends. And okay. you, you've recorded a video about this, you were saying? That is correct, yes. Oh, we can put a link to it uh, yes. in the show notes. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, uh, but essentially all of these changed her identity from being a victim of circumstances to an empowered mom who would even go all the way to, you know, have a rebellion against the rest of her family members to do what's best for her, mm. her child. And once parents start believing in, in, in massive actions, you know, remarkable things happen. Now, you, you just said, uh, if I can paraphrase this, the parent's belief has a big effect on the outcome for their child beyond autism. Beyond doubt, like, you know, uh, again, in that same video I talk about, like, you know, Maria Sharapova's dad, like, you know, Maria Sharapova wouldn't be the champion she is today you know, unless, you know, her dad would have had this belief mm. and would have migrated with only $700 all the way from Russia to the U.S. with this crazy idea that my daughter would be a tennis superstar someday, right? Um, then the other example I gave was, you know, Cody Lee. I'm not sure if you've come across that name, but he recently won America Got Talent, and he's a blind autistic teenager. Really? Okay? Yeah. Who plays beautiful piano and sings mm. a lot, you know, sings really well. And again, her mother, okay, unless her mother would have believed or have taught Cody how to dream big, this blind young autistic boy from a small town wouldn't have made it, right? So it's just about how much, how much, because in the end, it's the parents who spend 24 hours with these kids. They understand their every emotion, okay? Um, and, and once these parents are empowered to put in the right strategies in place to play by these kids', kids strength, okay, they they can make remarkable things happen. So what's a, what, what applies to mainstream kids, basically? Uh, the parents' belief, the parents' reinforcement of the, the strengths, Correct. the encouragement, Correct. all of that. You say that's exactly the same thing that should be applied to the child with autism. That is correct. Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. But only with some guided effort because, you know, normal parenting, we get a lot of, you know, we get a lot of feedback from people. We read books, you know, these days when we are parenting kids ourselves, we know we have, we have been kids once as well. We have seen how parents operate. So a lot of that learning is happens like naturally to us, just like the way we drive, right? Okay. But when it's a special needs child. There are some special issues or considerations that we need to apply to our parenting strategies. Okay, much like learning driving initially. Okay, where you need a lot of inputs from someone who is actually helping you in that process, even though it's you driving the car, right? Mm -hmm. But slowly, 
you know, once you go through that whole cycle, it becomes natural, and then nobody needs to prompt you when you need to break. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's all about you know having that guided effort in place mm. at, the, at the start. It can make a lot of difference. Ash, a little earlier in this conversation, you mentioned your own personal experience in your family with autism. For the benefit of the listeners, can you? Uh, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like you know, uh, it's my so my brother, elder brother. He's now 41 years old, and, and he's he's severely autistic, like level three, and non-verbal. Okay, um, even at this age, um, I was myself diagnosed with Asperger's as well at the age of 12. Okay, uh, but um, again. There was a difference because, and it again boils down to different stories because, you know, my parents believed that there was a lot of hope in me because I was high functioning and mm -hmm. I was already talking and doing okay in school, whereas with my brother, they thought not much point. And, and beyond the myriad of problems that they may have gone through at that point in time, okay, um, they have, I'm sure they tried to do the best they can, but they believed a lot more in me, okay, to be able to go ahead and achieve a better outcome for our, our, our lives than for my brother, okay, and as a consequence, you know, my brother, he still remains dependent on us, mm. okay, for his day-to-day -day needs, uh, whereas, you know, I'm here talking to you and, and, and sharing and, my experience. And, and, and running a, a large yeah. organization supporting right. uh, families with dealing with autism right. in multiple countries, yes, yeah. so, yes. And, and my daughter as well, like, she, you know, when she was three years old, um, you know, she started um, showing telltale signs of autism, like tiptoeing, hand flapping, insist, uh, continuously repeating what her mom would say without necessarily processing simple information. Um, but given that I have the background, it was fairly easy for me to directly relate it to the symptoms. And hence, you know, upon going a bit, going a bit to and fro over the, over the next one year or so, we eventually got her diagnosed. So, yes, my connection with autism is pretty deep and very personal. Right, very personal, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the sort of things you're talking about, you're applying those, no doubt, absolutely. in your own situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a position, and thankfully for my parents and for my family members who have supported me in this process, because it was never an easy decision for me to quit my job and start something, okay, um, on my own with a, with a much bigger mission to create an impact on the lives of hundreds of autism parents. Um, but thanks to their support, today I'm in a position where I can help empower other parents also achieve remarkable things for their kids. Well, a message of, of hope and encouragement and <laughs> uh, potentially good things ahead mm. for families with children on the autism spectrum. Yes? Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank, thanks for talking to us again today, Ash. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Learning Capacity Podcast, brought to you by LearnFastHQ.com, delivering the world's best evidence-based solutions for learning since 1999. Head over to our website to read a transcript of the podcast. Go to LearnFastHQ.com, that's L-E-A-R-N-F-A-S-T-H-Q.com, and click on Podcast in the menu at the top of the page. And don't forget to subscribe in your listening app so you don't miss hearing any of the interesting discussions about learning, teaching and education. Mm -hmm.